Uh, We're going to begin this morning uh, by reading the text together. Uh, Well, I'm going to read it, but we're going to do it like right now, um, verses a little further on. So uh, if you have your Bibles, Romans 12, I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 21. And as we read the text, I I don't know about you, but I think sometimes there needs to be like a warning, a surgeon's general warning, right? If you read these verses, you may feel uncomfortable or upset or your stomach, you might get a tummy ache or something like that. Um, We're going to read the text and, and you tell me how you feel at the end of these verses. This is what Paul writes. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how you feeling this morning. How many? Some of you are feeling fine. Some of you are thinking, great. Some of you are thinking, oh, good, more verses that I have to try to live out. Um. We're going to talk about this and unpack it a little more in a few moments, but I'd like to say that, you know, these are verses that are easy. They're easy to read, but they're really hard to live out, right? Can we just be honest? It is hard to live this way. Um, As Paul is exhorting the church throughout this letter, and especially here in this text, we are coming across some very practical teachings on how we are to respond to those who are seeking our own harm. This is the call of the follower of Christ. And so let's just settle that right now. If you are following Jesus Christ, if He is Lord and Savior of your life, if you have placed your trust and what He has accomplished on the cross for your sins. And you believe, not by your merit, not by your effort, but solely in what He has done for you. If you are believing in who Jesus is as the Son of God, this is the call of the child of God to respond in the midst of persecution. To bless those who persecute you. To never pay back evil for evil. To think low of yourself. And to never take your own revenge. These are things that are extremely difficult. And ultimately, they are impossible without the grace of God without the power of God working in us through His Spirit. 
Now, last week, we talked about how we are to love each other in the church, in the walls of the church, in the, in the context of community. We, we talked about this in, in, in verses 9 through 13. This is Paul moving us from that, that great beginning in Romans 12, 1 and 2, as he says, give yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And then we read in verses 3 through 8 about use your spiritual gifts, use the gifts that God has put inside of you to serve each other, to build up the body. And now as a, a, another step in this foundation process, he says, this is how we are to love each other, to love without hypocrisy, to, to be faithful, to, to strengthen each other, to be diligent, to be fervent, to rejoice, to persevere. And now we are to consider what it means to love people out there. But before we look at the out there, there is some in here kind of love that Paul inserts into this passage in Romans 12 verses 14 through 21. And it's found in verses 15 and 16. And this builds on the supernatural work that God wants to do in and through us. If you were with us last week, uh, you heard me reference this idea of the, the supernatural work that God is calling us to is, is kind of like the superhero kind of work that we are having as a child of God. The, the, this is a God thing to live this way. If you weren't with us last week, what you're going to find is the things that God is calling us to this morning, as he called us to last week, to love out there, to love in here, is a spiritual work. And it's something that we cannot do apart from God's power working in us. Verses 15 and 16 tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. These verses don't just speak to how we treat everyone out there, but also in here. Believers should share in the joys and sorrows that we share with together. This is, this is a hard thing, right? You know, we, we, we want to rejoice when there's times to rejoice. We want to celebrate when there's times to celebrate. But it's hard to weep when others are weeping. And I'm not just speaking because, like, for me, you know, I don't cry a lot, right? I don't watch Hallmark movies and weep every time they fall in love at the end of the story and all those things. I know some of you are look, giving me these, like, weird looks right now. I'm sorry for attacking your Hallmark movies and all those things. But, you know, so... It's uncomfortable, right? When people are hurting, to enter into that hurt with them. It's, it's a vulnerability. But it's especially necessary in the body of Christ. I think every week, in some way or some form, we are all on this continuum of rejoicing and weeping. Like even in a group our size, there's going to be people that are rejoicing and there's going to be people that are weeping. And, and I would say to you, as you share life with the person that is sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, uh, when we are in Christ, we need to be vulnerable enough to open up a little bit. 
and to listen and lean in a little more. You know, this is where what happens on a Sunday morning isn't the best expression of this, right? We come in, we sit down, we sing, we listen, we maybe stay for Sunday school, we get up, we leave, and we, we don't see each other maybe for another five or six days. But this is where community and and the context of God's people is so important because as you get to know people and lean in a little more and and move beyond the, hey, how you doing? Fine, great, I'll pray for you, see you later kind of thing. This is where when Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, that you actually are taking the time to listen in to where people are. And if someone says to you, hey, how are you doing? And, And you say, do you really want to know? And you really share, that, that takes a little more effort than, oh, good to see you. And then you walk away. But the context of a strong community of faith is built around the ability for God's people to lean into each other and to rejoice when there's times to rejoice and to weep when there's times of weeping. And I would love to say that the church does really well at this, not just North Anvil, but God's church. But here we are again with an exhortation to do these things because God knows we need help. We need help to, to, to learn what it means to open our ears and more importantly, to open our hearts to each other. Um, so I would encourage you to look for those opportunities. They're happening all the time. And sometimes we are Sharing if we are rejoicing or weeping without ever saying a word. Uh, sometimes, you know, we get the prayer requests of answered prayer where there's rejoicing. Share that with a person when you see them. Rejoice with them. And sometimes we get that in a prayer request where we know there's an extreme difficulty. Weep with that person when you see them. When we hurt, we all hurt. Weeping is an, inc- is an uncomfortable emotion. It really is. Um, because there's that sense like th- th- these, notice Paul didn't say when someone is weeping, cry crocodile tears. He says when they weep, weep with them. There's a sense of loss and pain and hurt. But in the rejoicing and in the weeping, here's what Paul is saying. Walk with people. I'm always prepared because I learned the hard way. You've got to have batteries up here. But we, we, we share this life together. And it's together. It's not separate. It's not we worship here together, but we live together. And that covers the gamut of weeping and rejoicing and And I would just say to you, there is nothing more special and effective in a hurting person's heart to just be present in their lives. 
And if you've ever felt in those moments, I don't know what to say. You don't need to say anything. What if I say the wrong thing? Well, don't say anything at all. Be present. Be praying in your spirit. Paul is calling us to share in the rejoicing and celebration with those who are in heaven around the throne of God when people are rejoicing and to come alongside of people that are in great hurt when they are in their hurt. Where does this come from? Well, it comes from an attitude, as Paul says in verse 16, of being of the same mind towards one another. Now, what does this mean? It means that we don't estimate. It means that we don't evaluate. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we place ourselves over others. It doesn't mean that we have it better together. Like when we see someone that is weeping in the corner saying, oh gosh, they're weeping again. Or when they're rejoicing, we become jealous and say, oh, they must have it all together. And woe is me. It means that we evaluate ourselves in the proper perspective as we engage each other in the body of Christ, that as we are of the same mind towards one another, we understand that we are to count each other and esteem each other as more valuable than ourselves. Now, what does that mean? It means this. We are all in God's image created equal. But it means in the context of everyday living in the body of Christ, we look at each other and express to each other a greater sense of worth than looking out for our own interests, what we can get out of a person. Paul says in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Do do not puff yourself up. You know, don't walk into the room and think, hey, if I wasn't here, this group couldn't be what it is. We chuckle, but it happens, you know, and I guarantee if, if you are faithful to ask God to help you with that kind of mindset, God will help you to get the air out of your balloon because he will provide opportunities to let the air out when you're feeling that way. Do not be haughty in mind. Do, do not esteem yourself. But what does he say? Associate with the lowly. Now, this word lowly in this whole context of lowly is interesting, especially in the context of what Paul is writing. Lowly are those who are at a lower standard of living. That's what Paul is referring to in the first century world in the Roman church where there were free men and slaves and Jews and Gentiles all together. It's this idea that Paul says, in Christ, we associate with the lowly, those who are below us. And I would say that in churches like ours, what's hard is there's often this mindset that a church in a, in a Western world community, they, they often look the same and act the same and live the same. And, you know, we're all just kind of like a slice from the same pie. And Paul says we associate with the lowly in the body of Christ. There are no factions, divisions, cliques. And we don't seek those who are lowly to elevate ourselves. Maybe we agree with the Garth Brooks song to have friends in low places. But we're not afraid to pursue those that might be different than us, live different than us. 
We don't walk around thinking that we have it all together and we look for those same kind of people. I've said it before from this very pulpit. We need to come to grips with the fact in the body of Christ that we are all a mess. And we need to come to grips in the body of Christ that we are all here because there has been a gracious God that has come to redeem us and save us. We're all in the same playing field, right? At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. So rejoice and weep, church, and be of the same mind towards each other. And now, as we have had time to consider how we are to relate to each other, we're now thrust into the, what does it mean to love those outside of the walls of the church? And that's really what Paul is doing in the rest of these verses. He, he begins it in verse 14 by saying, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It is a supernatural work of God to love this way. To love those who don't believe like you believe. To love those who may be God's enemy. To love those who you know are not following Jesus. This is certainly a supernatural work. These are the verses that we need to lean into today. The initial response when you hear things like this is to bristle and to fold your arms and say, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know what it's like to know that person, to hear those words come out of their mouth, to understand what's going on in their attitudes and their complaining and and their accusations and their pointing fingers and those things. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Maybe you've said at some point in your life, well, I'll try it once. Right? You read these verses and think, okay, I should try to do this. And then you start putting it in action and you think, well, this isn't working. It's not getting better on my end. Because that's what we often think. If we listen to the Bible and hear the words of Scripture and apply it to our lives, everything's going to get better. But it doesn't work that way. There's no promise that it's going to get better here. But there is a promise that if we live this out, it gets better with our relationship with God. Because we're walking in obedience and faithfulness to what he has said. And, and, and so there's a strength in that relationship. There's a fellowship that is sweet. There is a leaning into the promises of God that, yes, this isn't our home. But we've gone through this life, and especially in the context that we find ourselves uh, today in the midst of a pandemic where it seems like the, the lid was ripped off of any sense of common decency in the world. Right? People are losing their absolute minds over things that they should never lose their minds over. And we're fighting with each other and we're arguing with each other and we're pointing fingers at each other and all these things. And Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And we'll look at what this means in a few minutes. But to be a follower of Jesus means that you're going to live out of this world. I mean, there are vast differences between Christianity and all other religions and ways of life. 
Do you find this kind of living out there? I mean, really. Have you come across people outside of those who belong to Jesus that live this way? Nikita Khrushchev, who was once in charge of the Communist Party, like a long time ago, not super long, but a long time ago, understood what Paul was saying here and understood the words of Jesus when he said this, and it's paraphrased because he's speaking in Russian and we're English, but he said this, the difference between Christianity and communism is great. You bet it is. But when someone strikes you on the face, you turn the other cheek. If you strike me on the face, he said, I'll hit you so hard your head will fall off. Now, how many of us would rather convert to communism sometimes? <laughs> Seriously. Don't we feel that in the moment? That, that intensity? That, that fire? And Paul says what Jesus says, what Peter says. Got to put that aside. When we live in a world that is constantly in this constant toxic cycle of revenge and defending our rights and getting even, we fight over everything. I've seen people that I've known for a very long time literally lose their minds over something or taking a stance on something that in the big picture of things really doesn't matter. It's crazy. It's heartbreaking. Social media, once thought as a way to bring people together, is the platform for people to divide and separate. What do we use social media for now? We don't use it to connect with people. We use it to find camps of like-minded thinking, and then we just lob our thoughts on the other side. Now, I'm not saying we all do that all the time, right? But what I'm saying is that's what it's turned into. You know, I've talked to some people in the past about, you know, like when they get frustrated at what's going on in the world, maybe turn off the news and watch something else. I I would say to a a generation that is engulfed in this, this fire of toxic living that is found in social media, maybe delete your Facebook account or stay off the Twitterverse. You know, what good is it doing? For us, God's people, we don't really have a choice here. There are not options given by Paul as he's writing to these people in Rome. And remember the context of these people in Rome. At this point in Roman history, the people that Paul is writing to are the enemies of Rome. They're a faction. Rome looked at them with this crazy kind of confusion, like, who are you following? Who is Jesus? What are you really up to? Within a 10 years of Paul writing this letter to this church in Rome, there will be a Caesar in Rome that will severely persecute the Christians and will take great delight in it to the point that he will take Christians and martyr them, like kill them, take their life and light them on fire and stick them on a post and they will be the lights that light the road at night. That's the kind of persecution they're living in. 
And Paul doesn't say, hey, form a subcommittee, come up with, draft a bunch of rules, go to the city magistrate, pick it, all those kind of things. No, he says, hey, if they persecute you, bless them. What? What, what do you mean, Paul? Well, he means that God has left us here for an important work, and that is to be as ambassadors to build his eternal kingdom. When Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek, he's inviting us to be an ambassador of his grace to a world that desperately needs to see something different. We can't do God's work if we spend our time on earth fighting with opponents. We can't. I know this is hard. It's hard because we live in a free nation. Free to speak, free to defend, free, free, free. And everything that Paul was saying here, everything that Jesus said is on what Paul built on, right? Jesus laid the foundation. Paul built on that foundation of what it means to live this way. Everything that we come across in this context, in this passage, seems to think that we have to give up our rights. And we do. But the greater question is, were they really ours in the first place? There's a beautiful thing in what Paul is teaching here about submission. And if you think this is hard this week, come back next week as we look at Romans 13. Oh, you're already reading ahead. Let me just give you what my Bible says in the subject heading. Be subject to government. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be a fun one. Here's the thing. There's an enemy of the cross who doesn't know what grace looks like. The person who disagrees with you about Christ and the gospel doesn't see that we are already victorious. Our time on earth here isn't about us saying that we are right and you are wrong. Our time here is to shine the light of the grace and hope and the greatness of God to a lost and dying world. It's the opportunity that we have to be the witnesses and ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that dead sinners can find life through faith in God's Son. And we cannot do that if we, if we are spending our time trying to repay every evil that has been committed towards us. The text is really simple this morning. To love well out there means that we must put on the character of Christ and follow his example. The only way we can do this is to, de- is to develop a biblical mindset of the love and justice of God. And I love what Paul says as we get there in a few minutes. Living this way doesn't mean that we don't trust that God isn't going to do what God promises to do. But living this way means that we believe and trust that when God does that, he'll do it perfectly. We need to settle that in our hearts. In verse 14, when Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, he's merely just repeating what Jesus taught us earlier. In Matthew 5, 44, 
we read this. But I say to you, and this is Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount, right? One of the first sermons that he, he uh, shared publicly with a large group of people. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He didn't say get along with your enemies. He didn't say tolerate your enemies. He didn't say kill your enemies with kindness. He says love your enemies. In Luke 6, in the Sermon on the Plain, which is a very parallel teaching, this is what Jesus said, but I say to you who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. How many of you are jumping in line to do those things? I know I'm not. If I'm completely honest with you, I don't like what Jesus says in verse 28. Because every part of my selfishness says, I need to defend myself. I need to fight for myself. I need to vindicate myself. And everything that Jesus says here in verse 28 is to pursue that person. Never give up on that person. Seek ways to bless that person. Serve that person. Love that person. Now the word persecute in verse 14 in Romans 12 means to pursue. Simply, it's what it means. In the context of of, of what Paul is writing, Paul is talking about people that are after you. They're pursuing you. They have an agenda. Right? The crosshairs are on you. They're, they are motivated to seek you. And those who are seeking you, pursuing you, not for good, but for trouble, Paul says, bless them. To bless means to call down divine blessings on them. In the midst of your persecution, your tribulation, Your trouble as a child of God living in a fallen world when people are seeking not your good, but to really destroy you. How many times have you found yourself in the midst of that saying, okay, I'm just going to pray that God will bless them now. That's really what Paul is saying. It's wishing God's best on people and praying for them. Coupled with Luke 23, uh, verse 34, Jesus was saying, and here's the quick context. Jesus is dying on the cross when he said these words. He's nailed to the cross. This is what he says. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And at the foot of the instrument of death are the people that are killing him, casting lots and dividing up his garments amongst themselves. Father, forgive them. In Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, we know Stephen, right? He's the first guy in the early church that was killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 7 verse 60, Stephen, they're, they're ready to kill him. And he says, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, we read from Peter's perspective about what was going on in Jesus' life as Peter was following Jesus as a disciple. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That when Jesus was being falsely accused and mocked and beaten and handed off from one puppet government to another puppet government, and all along they were making a big mockery of him, and then they nailed him to a tree and hung him on the cross, and this innocent man died. No point in that was Jesus saying, it's not fair, or I'll get you. Every step of the way, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father who judges righteously. You put all these verses together, you begin to see that the New Testament teaches the principle of non-retaliation for personal injury. You don't have to look very far, but that's not the world that we live in, right? It's not. I mean, I'll be watching a football game sometime later today, and I can guarantee you there's going to be a commercial on for a personal injury lawyer. And if I'm in some kind of accident, I can call him, and he's going to get what is due to me. It's those kind of things. It's the world that we live in. Then we read in verses 17 through 20, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. These verses expound the exhortation of verse 14 to bless those who persecute you. This is what it looks like now. This is how we are to have this attitude. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And you might say, well, I read in the Bible eye for an eye. Well, when you read that, that in the context of what was written in the Old Testament about an eye for an eye, it was never to be done personally to personally. It was a protective kind of thing for a community. As a wrong was committed, there was an eye for an eye. But it was never vigilante justice. In fact, in the Old Testament, they made provision for safe haven cities Cities of refuge for people to go to that were accused for a wrong. And they would vet that and they would try it out to make sure that it really happened the way that it happened. And if you were a person that was being charged with some kind of crime, you could go to a city of refuge and be protected until everything was found out. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Now, I want you to notice two words in verse 17. You may want to underline these words. These are really important words. Never and anyone. Never and anyone. You might say to me, yeah, I get the never, but really, God just doesn't want me to do it a lot, right? I mean, if it's really bad, he'll let me do it, right? Never. Yeah, but 
you know, Pastor, I get anyone. But really, there's this person. They're truly evil. I mean, every day they're making my life difficult. They say terrible things about God. They are maligning my name in the community. They've done hurtful things towards me. Anyone? Yes, anyone. This is the flip side of verse 9 in Romans 12 when Paul says, hate what is evil or abhor what is evil. When evil falls on us, we are not to give an occasion for its return. Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what the Old Testament taught. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Jesus rejects this eye for an eye attitude. And so did the early church. Paul wrote later in 1 Thessalonians 5, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. I love that. And for one another, not just in the church, but for all people, everyone else. And then Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.9, Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Now this is the example and attitude of Christ. When he was mocked, abused, beaten, and ultimately crucified, he did not call down fiery judgment. And he could have because in the garden he said that to Peter who wanted to lop off the ear with one of the swords that he picked up and create trouble for the the palace police that was coming to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said, don't you know I could call down heaven's angels right now and take care of this? But he didn't. Because Jesus knew every step of the way that our time on here on earth is transitory and it's all preparatory for what is to come. That this is really just transition ground. This isn't our home. This isn't our forever kingdom. This isn't our forever place. And so what are we to do? We are to tell everyone at every opportunity with every moment and every breath that we have that there is a king who loves them and his name is Jesus and he died on the cross for their sins. That is what our lives are to be about. And we can't do that if we're spending our time fighting with every person that disagrees with who we are and who we believe in. And how many times have we fallen prey to a vindictive spirit for our enemies, for them to say, see, they're no different than us. The cure for the vindictive heart is to to respect what is right in the sight of all men. To respect means to take thought. It means to think beforehand. It calls for careful thought and attention. Listen to me. Before you smash that like button or hit reply or click send, make sure that you have prayed. And as you pray, ask God to reveal what is going on inside of your heart. Ask yourself, why am I? And and you know what we do in social media these days? And I know, like, our younger generation is already beyond Facebook. I'm talking to the people like me that, like, we see this all the time on Facebook, right? You ask a teenager about Facebook today, and, and my daughter will say the same thing. She's like, that's for old people. 
But this is what they do, right? This is what we do. We won't say anything, but we'll like something. And we say a whole lot when we like something. We do this. We are to respect or take thought, not just with those we agree with, but in the sight of all men. Our lives should ooze with the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ, the attitude of selflessness that permeates the heart of the child of God. And Paul says in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If possible, that's an important phrase. If possible, this is a call to be a peacemaker, but the call isn't peace at any price. Paul isn't saying be peaceful at any price. What he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, you should not be the instigator of trouble under normal circumstances. All we can do is try to live at peace with other people. That's all we can do. So far as it depends on you. Listen, you can live in peace and still take a stand for godly issues. You can love sinners and be motivated for the gospel to come into their lives without giving in to their sinful thoughts and attitudes. And that's hard for us because we smash it together and say the sin and the person are the same. And we need to understand that the sinner expresses himself in sin, but we are called to love the sinner and hate the sin. And we think, well, I'm just going to build walls around me and stay away from everyone that does this or thinks this or looks this way and all those kinds of things. And, and we think, hey, you know, they're different than me. And Jesus says, no, you move in towards them. And as far as it depends on you, be at peace with them. And the cure for the heart that is seeking revenge is to consider the love and justice of God. That's what Paul says in verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Can I just say this? If you have an adequate understanding, a beginning understanding of the wrath of God, the wrath of God that's explained in Romans 1, the wrath of God that's explained in the book of Revelation, if you have just a beginning understanding of the wrath of God, what you begin to understand is you don't want anyone to have to feel the wrath of God. So what is Paul saying here in verse 19? Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Well, what he is saying is he's calling us to consider a question that naturally arises from the text. Do we ever think at any moment that God has stopped being God? Because when we seek our own revenge, we either think that we are God's instrument to punish that person. That's one thing. Like we, we think that we are the holy anointed instrument in God's hand to strike trouble in this person's life. Or we have totally forgotten that he is perfectly good at judging sin when we take our own revenge or seek our own revenge. But listen, we are not God. We are called to leave room for his wrath. God will determine when such wrongs are to be righted whether now or later or at the return of Christ. Our task is to place all injustices in his hand and allow him to decide when to vindicate us. And God will vindicate his children. He will. 
To show us that, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 32, 35, when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God will take care of his people when others wrong us. It just may not happen the instant you want it to happen. And along the way, that person, and and this is the kindness and love of God in the midst of it. It may not happen in your time, but God may use that season in life where that person that was persecuting you and bringing trouble to you, oh, by the way, they found grace in the cross of Jesus. And if the wrath of God was to be poured out on them in the instant, every time they wronged you, there's the opportunity gone. And then you take a step back and you think, well, that was me at one point. If God poured out his wrath when it should have been poured out in my life for my sin, I would have had no occasion to find the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God will take care of his people. In verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul quotes from Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. This is kind of a strange proverb. It's a strange uh, kind of principle for, for wise living. Uh, he, Paul invites us to do good towards those who are enemy, are our enemy. And this may result in, turning, in their turning towards repentance, changing their ways. If someone does harm to us, what do we do? Do good to them. Doing good may result in conviction and shame. The expression that that is quoted here from Proverbs uh, 25 about um, feeding your hungry enemy, giving drink to your thirsty enemy, and the picture of heaping burning coals on his head carries back to probably an expression of an old custom that when your neighbor needed hot coals, like their, their stove ran out, their fire ran out. They would go knock on the door of their neighbor and say, hey, can I have some burning coals, hot coals for my use? And that whole act of carrying the burning coals over them of danger, discomfort, and uneasiness, nevertheless was an evidence of the neighbor's love. The person who receives good for evil feels uncomfortable because of his neighbor's love. That's the point. And this guilt may convict the wrongdoer of his or her ways in a gentle manner. Look for ways to bless those who persecute you. Serve them. Don't hold back. What would have happened to you if Jesus treated you with vengeance? I guarantee this, you wouldn't be here right now. Verse 21, Paul wraps it up and he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is really uh, a restatement of uh, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Vengeance, paybacks, cursing, all comes from an attitude of evil. Overcome it. Overcome evil with good. Look for ways to bless. Thankfully, God has given us living examples of overcoming evil with good. We have it in Jesus, and I want to share another one with you. How many of you have ever heard of the person Graham Staines? He was a missionary. He lived in our lifetime. Graham Staines was an Australian missionary that lived uh, in India. 
And in January 1999, Graham Staines and his two sons, Philip, who was 10 years old, and Timothy, who was six years old, were mobbed by radical Hindus. They were trapped inside of their vehicle and they were burned alive. After the fire was put out and they came to the scene, uh, they found the three charred bodies clinging to each other. Graham Staines spent 34 years serving the people of India in the name of Jesus Christ. He was the director of the leprosy mission in Baripada, Orissa. He left behind a wife named Gladys and a daughter named Esther. His wife said after this horrific event, and it was found in every newspaper in India, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter. Neither am I angry, but I have one great desire that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Everyone thought that she was going to move back with her daughter to Australia, but she didn't. She said God had called them to India and she would not leave. She said, my husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and to continue to serve the needy. And then perhaps the most remarkable statement over the whole incident was made by her teenage daughter, Esther. When asked how she felt about the murder of her father, and her brothers. This is what a 13-year-old girl said. I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. Do not repay evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. We have a lot to consider this morning. Can I encourage you that the cure for the hurting heart is to press into the grace of God. And as his child, leave the things that you need to leave in his hands. And trust him to do what he does. And he does it very well. And before you react to anything, Consider the call to love your enemy. Because if you do, that might be the opportunity for their heart to open to the gospel. Let's pray.